You are listening to the Fuerte Network. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. This is We Are Home Arizona, an immigration podcast. I am Dani Orona, and via Zoom with me is my co-host, Carlos Navarro Yanes. Carlos, welcome to the show again. Welcome back. Uh, Happy New Year. How was your break? So, Danny, I'm doing good. How are you? My break was really good, really relaxing. Uh, I was able to kind of reel it in from, from the stuff we did at DC and then the news following after that. So it was a lot of time with family and friends and gladly like I got to spend it with them. Yeah, it's definitely something that was much needed. Uh, over the break I was uh, doing, because as you know, I do not only this show, but multiple shows for a living. Yeah. And most of them revolved around family and a lot of them telling stories and sending messages to their family members that listen to them in their home countries. And it was just absolutely heartbreaking seeing these people, uh, you know, pour their hearts and souls out to their families, knowing that this is as close as they can get to actually talking to them, uh, hear, having them hear them on their shows, on their podcasts, and sending these messages all around the world. So it's a great experience to be able to make that connection. But again, it reminds me every day of why we need to do the work that we do in order for these families to once again be reunited. As you guys could probably hear, we are back to recording remotely since we still need to get this pandemic under control. Control. So I'd like to take this opportunity to urge everyone to continue to take every health and safety precaution you can. Continue to wear a mask. Continue to wash your hands regularly. Get vaccinated. Get boosted. And take regular COVID tests. Remember that we might still have and pass along the virus even when we don't have any symptoms. This is very, very important in our communities. This message, along with this episode, is brought to you thanks in part to Fuerte Arts Movement and Cahoots Co-working Spaces. Check out Cahoots.com to schedule a free tour of their move-in ready office spaces. Teams ranging from one member to 30 can all find state-of-the-art offices and equipment, along with phone booths, conference rooms, kitchen and dining areas, and even a podcast recording room. Once again, that is Cahoots, C-O-H-O-O-T-S dot com to schedule a free tour of the facilities. Carlos, today we have a very special guest. We have Denise Alvarez, a documented educator, here to speak about her experiences in the classroom. Can't wait for that. But uh, before that, let's do a little bit of house cleaning here. We had, at the time of recording, Monday, 5 o'clock, the State of the State address was given today by our gobernador, quote-unquote, our leader, Doug Ducey, and really did not say anything that didn't surprise most of us. We we know he is all about patting himself on the back. He is all about covering up stuff that he doesn't want talked about. And, you know, he focused on certain things that might make him look good to his donors, to his voters, to, you know, all of his side of the aisle, but didn't really mention anything that is truly affect our communities here and now. Yeah, I think the while it doesn't surprise me, it's kind of surprising how little he mentioned immigration and migration mm-hmm. and asylum seekers. I don't know if everyone is aware, but the migrant protection protocols were put back in place. Title 42 was reactivated. So everything going on at the border, the asylum seeker crisis where individuals aren't being let in, that's still happening. That's still raging at the border, along multiple points in the border. And one of the only things Ducey said about migration and about immigrants is stopping the fentanyl crisis, which he wants to do through increasing militarization at the border further, which we know the border right now kind of looks like a war zone. 
yeah, you see, it's like something you see in movies on TV, you know, you see overseas, just uh, soldiers patrolling the, the streets, patrolling the desert, and uh, focusing on criminalizing people coming through rather than helping these refugees, which, uh, once again, we go back to, we say it every time, America supposedly founded by immigrants to help immigrants so immigrants can live free lives, and they are just being put in cages there and uh, not being let in altogether. Yeah, and I mean, aside from that, his state of the state address was a lot of a lot, a lot of the the sentiment was everything's fine, nothing's wrong, we're doing amazing, Arizona's amazing. When in reality, I think we'll talk about this later with our our guest speaker Denise. Schools are struggling, hospitals are struggling, public infrastructure is struggling. There were fifteen thousand cases for COVID in Arizona alone, and I think it's a very scary amount of deaths. Sixty nine deaths. I think those were sixty nine maybe like a brothers, sisters, tias, uncles, grandmothers. I know people who people to COVID within the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can't imagine the toll it's taking not only on our communities, but on the people we know on the ground. Exactly. And we say that like all the numbers that we throw around on this show, those 15,000 cases, just in one day, mind you, and the 69 deaths of yesterday, those were 15,000 souls, you know, 69 lives that were lost, that, you know, they're never going to be back with their families. They were providers. They were, you know, um, support. They were they were family is what is what it ended up being. So, you know, hearts out to all of them and their families. And uh, hopefully we can start getting a leader that actually takes this seriously, other than just sweeping everything under the rug. Like you said, this whole everything is fine thing needs to stop. Yeah, I think it, to take accountability, you have to take responsibility for the things that are going wrong. If we always say everything's okay, not, nothing will ever change. Exactly. So let's go ahead and jump into uh, who we have here with us today. And because she has seen the effects of COVID firsthand. She has been through her own immigration process firsthand. She has lived a, a life of success through all the adversity that she has faced. She is an educator at local high school here in Arizona. So we'd like to welcome Denise Alvarez to the show. Denise, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and being with us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to have this conversation with y'all. Yeah, of course. I remember when I met Denise, we were all organizing at our local university. So it's amazing to see the development of Denise's trajectory from organizing and activism to doing the same thing in her classroom and affecting the next generation. Denise, we wanted to kind of talk about the points of how it's gone in your classroom, how it's gone in your school. We wanted to see how has COVID affected your classroom in specific and affected your students? Well, there's been a lot of changes in the past year. Uh, when I first stepped into the classroom, I was a student teacher. And that was the point where we were all virtual. Our students were only receiving one semester of their content. Well, they were receiving one year of content in one semester, which in college is typical, but in a high school classroom is totally different. Like it's put spread out over the year because it takes that that long for our students to be able to understand it and be able to capture the content. So now coming back to in person, we are getting our students at a point where they are missing some content knowledge. They're missing some skills that they should have gotten 
the year prior, we've had to be able to manage all that right now and getting back into the group of things. Our district has currently changed from a regular school schedule to a block schedule. So I only see my students three times a week. Uh, so that's Mondays. And then um, we have 90 minute classes instead of the usual 45, 55 minute classes. So that's one way in which it has changed. The block scheduling, we do end up losing some instruction time with it. And it's been really hard to keep their attention for those 90 minutes that they have. So that's one way in which it has affected our classroom. So it's just the way that we lesson plan. I'm planning for three days out of the five days rather than for all five days, because I see some classes Thursdays and some other classes Wednesdays, Fridays. We do have a mask mandate on our district, so all of our students and staff wear masks. But as far as social distancing, that's pretty non-existent, and it would be pretty impossible since my class average is from about 28 to 30 students in my class. Now, Denise, from what I've read uh, in the news, and I'm not sure if this is uh, true for your district and for your experience as well, before there was a teacher shortage, but now during the pandemic, I've read that it's increased exponentially. Uh, has that affected any of your classrooms at all? How has the teacher shortage affected your classroom in specific? Okay, so every morning we receive an email of a list of teachers who were not able to attend. Our campus goes to teachers who are on campus right now to use their lives teachers and so that to me was outrageous I was like oh my goodness we have like five missing teachers and we're trying to fill in another teacher to basically substitute for them because we don't have any substitutes available and so that's something that's almost daily and it has affected me personally because we did have a teacher that had to leave for a few months, about three months. Uh, they were on leave and we didn't have a substitute available for them. So what we did in our department was each one of us took one of took our prep to substitute for this teacher. And what's unfortunate about that is that that class ends up not getting as high of a quality education as they should be because we don't have time to plan or most of their work ends up being book work or online work. Right, because obviously that is not your main focus. You're just going to focus for one part of the lesson plan and the next teacher might be doing it a different way. Aquí salen, por ejemplo, los estudiantes van a estar bien confundidos like, to how to learn. Yeah, and it's just not consistent with what everybody else is doing. And honestly, it's just very tiring and exhausting to not be able to have that prep, especially being a first year teacher, because I still don't have, you know, all of my PowerPoint slides, all of my all of the materials that I'm going to be uh, giving out to my students. I would usually be gathering those, prepping for those during my prep time. 
Uh, however, last semester, I had no prep time. So that ended up going into other times available throughout the day uh, that were not my contract hours. And for those that are listening that don't know about teacher salaries, do those things that you're doing out of your contract hours get paid at all? When it comes to planning, no. But fortunately, the substituting does, uh, we do get uh, a paycheck for that. Um, so I did get paid uh, for the times that I was covering that class for, which was for most of the semester last year. And if we do substitute a class throughout the day, we do get we get paid hourly for those, I believe. Just to put it in context, it's the equivalent of if someone like works straight through lunch, right? Yes, you get paid, but you don't get a break at all during the day. Yes, correct. And yeah. actually, I believe they're even allowing us to sub during our lunch. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, I honestly didn't expect that to be happening right now, which I think kind of ties back into the state of the state that we were talking about earlier, that people are saying everything is fine when it kind of sounds like things are kind of getting pretty bad. Yeah, and it's been like that for a while. Honestly, what I wish would be, like what I wish to have is some type of protocol for all of this. I feel like there is a lack of protocol as far as what do we do if a student is sick? How do we get them back on track? If we as teachers get sick, what what do we do then for our students? Or, you know, what can be done? Because we already have a lack of substitutes, then our students end up missing the, what those 10, 14 days that we have to miss out on to make sure that we are healthy, right? And that we're not getting anybody else sick. That kind of went into our next question where what type of support do you wish you had as an educator, not only from your district, but from the government in general? I honestly wish that the government would listen to us and not only listen to us and hear us out, but take action on what we are saying. The whole mask mandate should have been given by the state not by the districts. The state should have uh, put those protocols in place from the very beginning. And educators have been saying this and will continue to say that. Yeah, educators have been sounding the alarms and telling everybody what was going on yet. The argument that I hear the most that really gets on my nerves is the whole thing where they're like, every school should be able to decide for themselves. The state shouldn't be doing anything. It's like, no, you know what the right decision to do is. It's mm -hmm. either health and safety or everybody gets sick. So it's like, it's an easy yes. choice. It should not be controversial at all. Yet the governor did not have, you know, the logic to actually put these mandates early on because he's afraid of how it's going to look to the voters. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that, is, that is absolutely ridiculous to me. Yeah, they're ending up putting us at risk and putting our students at risk as well. And then their families, because once they come to school, they take whatever it is that they got there back home. 
And we all know that our population, which is predominantly Hispanic, Black population, are the ones that are suffering the most from this. Exactly. Uh, Denise, while you were going to school, when you were in, uh, in college, uh, did you already have that plan to become a teacher? Like that was your goal from, from day one? Yes, I did. I knew I wanted to go into education. And then I decided on teaching in the classroom. So when you first started, of course, you started getting your classes early on, freshman, uh, sophomore. Uh, all, around when was it that this uh, pandemic started? At what point in your education were you in preparation for becoming a teacher? Because I'm imagining when you were a freshman, you didn't imagine that you were going to be a first-year teacher during a global pandemic. Yeah, of course. So I had decided to take all of my science courses, which are my content courses, uh, my first two years of college. And so what was left were all of my education courses, uh, junior, senior year. And unfortunately, the pandemic started uh, spring of my junior year. Yeah, I believe it was spring of my junior year. And for all of my senior year, we were in pandemic, it was virtual. So it did affect the way that I learned and the way that I prepared myself to be a teacher, because those that last year is meant for us to be fully in the classroom, fully teaching. Um, but I was stuck at home behind a screen and flipping through near pods. Wow. So it's the, the yeah. equivalent of doing all your preparation, like let's say for a driver's license, but doing everything on a simulator instead of actually getting behind the wheel of a car. Yes, correct. Like it's completely different, right? Yes. So the greatest challenges came to classroom management, classroom procedures, because now there were so many other things that I needed to think about that I hadn't before when we were virtual. And I think moving a little bit away from specific challenges for schools, I did want to ask, as someone who is documented, and since we are an immigration guest, uh, how does the fight for immigration reform affect you personally and professionally, as well as maybe affects your students as well? It affects me personally because it is emotionally draining to have my future depend on people that don't, that don't know me or care for my future. It affects me because I like I have sisters, I have my family that is also affected by everything that is going on around with immigration and it's been a constant roller coaster almost since I graduated from high school honestly. And that was the moment where I became more aware of what was going on because throughout college, there were so many changes in legislation. For example, there was ZACA and then they, then they took it away and then there was in-state tuition and there's, there's, then there's no in-state tuition. So changes like those really affected me emotionally. It was hard to cope around that, but I am thankful to have met uh, a community um, at my university that was able to help me through that uh, because they were living a similar experience as I was since we were all undocumented and uh, or documented. The way that it affects me professionally 
is, well, I have to count on my work permit for my ability to be in the classroom. And it, they kind of end together because me being in the classroom is where I want to be, where I know I should be, and where my passion lies, being with my students and, you know, growing together, not just, well, you know, with science, but as people. Um, and so uh, without my status, I wouldn't have been able to start my career. And honestly, that also expands to being able to take advantage of benefits that my profession brings me. For example, insurance. I've never had insurance before. And this past couple of months is where I've seen how big of a difference insurance makes. Right. Um, because, well, now I have vision insurance and dental insurance, where before, like last year, before I had insurance, I paid like 1200 for a dental cleaning. Oh, my God. And now that I have insurance, yeah, I'm still paying it off. Um, oh Lord! Now that I have insurance, I didn't have to pay anything, and to me that was just crazy. That ability, or you know the, yeah, the ability to be able to have that. That's definitely a big help, I imagine, for you and for everyone. Because I remember when I got mine as well, I actually went with the same pair of eyeglasses that I had for um, in high school. I went for them mm -hmm. for almost a decade and a half with them clearly needing to be changed, not only because they get scratched up and everything, but I had a completely different prescription now that I mm -hmm. needed, but just not being able to go to the doctor, uh, not just to not pay out of pocket for all those things is what kept me from yeah. actually going. So when I finally got like just this past year, my contacts that were my actual prescription, I'm like, oh my goodness, look at all this color that's out here. The <laughs> sharpness in the Which world. Is this, this is amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 2020 what <laughs> 2020 vision uh denise i'm so glad that you were able to to, to follow your your professional dreams that yeah. you for everything that you aspire to be because i think it's very important to have teachers from our very own background in your opinion why is it well why is it important that schools have educators who are immigrants especially undocumented ones well because we are serving a population that has a high number of, you know, immigrants. Um, I think that it gives our students hope because they spend a large amount of their time with us. And so they're seeing that we are out here doing what we'd love to do and doing what we aspire to do. So then that puts it, that plants a seed in their mind that they can also do this. And I hope that they can also see us as mentors for them, as a guide, yeah. because we lived what they are currently living right now under different circumstances since I didn't graduate in a pandemic. Right. But still, um, as an immigrant, as someone who is documented, um, undocumented. Uh, when you were a student, how would uh, having an undocumented educator have affected your experience? I feel like it would have allowed me to have someone to go to for questions and for advice. That time was a very 
scary and uncertain time just because I wasn't sure how I would be paying for school, how I would like, I, I wasn't sure where, what would be happening after high school because I hadn't heard from any scholarships, at least not any type of positive news at that time. So being able to go to someone and talk to them about how I was feeling at the time would have been amazing. Someone who would be able to understand the experience that I was currently living at the time. Yeah, and I think a lot of us have a lot of stories of educators who weren't the best. Um, I know during high school and during university, I would help out students. Uh, a lot of them came in with stories of counselors or people in educational settings that wouldn't support them knowing their immigration status. So I think you being in the place you are is also very powerful and very important because that has an actual effect on individuals coming into college or who want to aspire to, to go to higher education. So along those lines, Anise, uh, how can we help support educators during these times and how can we help support immigrant educators? Honestly, at the bare minimum, I hope that you are kind because we are very overwhelmed and stressed. Um, I feel like we get a lot of judgment. Like you should be able to fulfill your job or, you know, get these students to pass. I know I've heard some side comments. Uh, from other counselors about my students and about the way that us as teachers are handling this. So first of all, starting out with being kind and if you have the means to donating materials, I think many teachers have links and a lot of times those links have areas where you can donate materials that are necessary in the classroom you know, to help them out. A lot of it does come out of pocket. And honestly, talking about your kids, about safety, safety in regards to COVID and motivation as well, like motivate your kids or whoever it is in your life that you know that are currently going through school. Some words of encouragement and affirmations for them because it's really hard to go back to school after not being there for about a year and a half. They're also getting used to getting back to a routine, getting back to structure. And so reminding these kids that we're here for them and to be kind to themselves as well. We can only do so much in the classroom, but if they're getting those words of affirmation from their home, um, that would be amazing. Exactly. And that's a very, very great way of putting it. And hopefully people can change their, their perspective a little bit and start seeing things not from, you know, financial lines, not by whose responsibility, but like we're all people and we need to help each other get out of this because our leaders are not doing it. So it, it, it is up to us. It's up to our own community to help pull us out of uh, this desperation that we have right now. Uh, Denise, I want to thank you for, for your time and for your insight to everything that's going on in our classrooms. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go? No, I think that is all I have. Go get vaccinated. <laughs> yes. There are many schools around the area that are giving vaccines for free. All you have to do is go and attend. 
Yes, and we'll be we'll be putting some stuff up on social media of where you can go. Um, what we've been using, honestly, just uh, Googling COVID-19 COVID free testing sites, and a lot of them pop up. Uh, there is a shortage right now in Arizona. It's very hard to find, but it's, sometimes you're lucky enough you have different Walgreens or CVS to find the home tests as well. But uh, if not, go ahead and take some time out of your schedule to book in an appointment so you guys can can know your, your status and know that you're safe to be around other people. Thank you so much, Denise, for joining us and for talking to us about the current state of schools and your own experience as a documented uh, educator. I'm super, super proud of you and all the work that you do. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much to you all, too. All right. Take care, Denise. All right, so everyone, that was our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we sign off, I want to formally thank everyone involved in the making of the episode, especially my co-host, Dani Orona, our guest speaker, Denise Alvarez, Karina Dominguez for all her graphics work, and Dominique Medina on music. Production and editing was done by Karina Dominguez and Dani Orona. Thank you guys so much. And also more shout-outs to, to Fuerte, Frequence Alterna, and then Cahoots co-working spaces for all the support and all the infrastructure support. We super appreciate everyone involved and thank you so much for tuning in and always listening to, to the show and listening to this episode. Thank you so much. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Fuerte Arts Movement.